Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigalski. And today we have, again, for a second time, the one and only, the touted, Bilal Batraoui. He is the king of death to fluff, and he is the king of delighting us today. Nick, why should people delight themselves? Well, so if you're the type of salesperson who's like, hey, I can't tell you pricing until I talk to your boss, or no, 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 we're not doing the demo until I do some discovery, you probably want to listen to Bilal because he will teach you why that actually causes you not to delight your buyer. And he's got some great strategies to delight your buyer, which actually is correlated with winning deals. Three, two, one, delightful. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. Obsessive checking of your inbox is a total waste of time and brain power. Instead, commit to checking your inbox and responding to email at set times throughout the day. I'm a fan of Boomerang's pause inbox function to keep myself from getting distracted by my inbox. Now, we documented our best templates and tools to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang, and you can get that for free at the link in the show notes. Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with RocketReach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. All right, Bilal, welcome back to the show. You remember we start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three. All right. So 
Let's get some death to fluff, real actionable advice here. So number one, there are three fundamental rules for great messaging. All right. And, and these are three things you have to think about before you click send. Number one, it has to be about them, not you. Change the language. No I, we, us, you, you phrasing. Number two, it's got to be emotional because decisions start in the limbic brain. So limbic brain messaging is an emotional plea, whether that's uh, comedy, curiosity, anxiety, FOMO, whatever it is, make it emotional. It has to make some connection. And the third thing is it cannot be about saving time or money. This is where most sellers fall into the quicksand because time and money is what sellers say to buyers. You fall into a paradigm of buyer seller and people tune you out. So don't make it about saving time or money. All right. So those are the three fundamentals for great messaging. Number two, ROI sucks. Like get off ROI. The problem with ROI is that it speaks to the neocortex, which is where decisions get concluded, not start. The limbic brain is where, where decisions start. And the limbic brain is the emotional brain. It's the part of the brain that's responsible for fight, flight, or freeze. So ROI is not something to lead with. What you want to lead with is opportunity costs, the cost of inaction, what it costs you if you don't make a change, if you remain on the status quo, if you stay on thin ice, what could happen to you? Start there. If they buy into that and they see the concept and you can get commitment, then you can move to ROI and say, now here's the impact of the change. But there's really no reason to talk about ROI if they're not willing to make a change in the first place. So start with opportunity costs. And the third one is mic drop questions when you're on a cold call. So I've noticed this pattern over the years of selling that when I get people talking early and upfront in a cold call, the likelihood of success of a positive outcome, whether that's a follow-up or a meeting set, increases dramatically than when I'm doing all the talking in some sort of monologue and they're just listening. So how do you get people talking early and upfront? Ask a mic drop question, get the mic out of your hands, leave center stage and put them in center stage. And it sounds something like this. It's going to be what or how questions like, how do you handle your second largest cost of benefits rising nine to 15% year over year? Or what method do you use today to track user frustration on your website? Those are what or how mic drop questions that get the spotlight off you and onto the prospect. So can we talk about everything leading up to the mic drop questions? I don't. I think we talked mostly about popcorn in the last episode with Bilal. And if you didn't see that one, definitely go back and listen to popcorn. That's all I'm going to say. But like, what's happening leading up to the mic drop question? I know you have a, a special framework around cold calling. I do. This is like, there's some psychology behind why it flows like this, but the idea is pretty simple. Okay. It's four steps. So number one, permission, permission-based opener, let people know you're cold calling them. Never leave them thinking, wait, is this a sales call? Is this somebody I know? It's better to be the one to address that early and upfront. The one that I was taught years ago by MJ Hoffman, and I still use still today is I know you're not expecting my call. Do you have a moment? I promise to be brief. All right. That's exactly how I say it. Very confidently, I say my name. I usually make a little joke about my name. I'm like, hey, this is Bilal. They're like, who is this again? I'm like, wait, am I the first Bilal to call you today? And then they crack up and everybody around me groans because they've like heard that joke for like the 10th time that day. <laughs> but then I say, I know you're not expecting my call. Do you have a moment? I promise to be brief. I want to get permission. All right. They say yes, proceed. They say no. I say, oh, no problem. When would you like me to call you back? Would later this afternoon or tomorrow morning be better for you? Letting them know like, hey, you're not getting off scot-free if you say no, I'm going to call you back. 
and I and I, I stick to my word. If if they tell me call back tomorrow morning, I call them back tomorrow morning. All right. So there's the permission. Then I'm going to frame a problem. Nothing about my company. Nothing about what we do, who we are, who we serve, our customers. None of that. I want to frame a problem. I want to get their attention. So this is like the first 20 seconds of the cold call. Once they say, "Okay, what's this about, be dead?" Then I'm going to say something like this. So in the case of like Trinet, the first startup I worked at, we sold HR tech. We sold it to CFOs of fast-growing tech companies. This was the pitch. For most businesses like yours, the second largest cost after payroll is health benefits, which have been increasing 9% to 15% year over year in the state of California. So there, I just framed the problem. All right. At Full Story, we used to sell software that helped people track user behavior on websites and apps. So we were selling to product managers. In that case, I'd say something like this. Have you ever been on a website that really sucked where you found yourself slamming your mouse in frustration? We call that a rage click. And that might be happening right now on your website. So now I'm framing a problem. Okay. Now there's a reason I'm giving you the Trinet example, the full story example. I'll get to that in a second. So we've got permission, problem. Now we're going to do mic drop. All right. I'm going to ask a what or how calibrated question that gets me off the hot seat and gets them talking because I don't want to talk anymore. Right. I need them to talk. I want them to embrace the problem I just stated or reject it because I'm fine with either, right? If somebody tells me, hey, that's not my problem. Oh, wow, great. That's unusual. Uh, before I let you go, how did you overcome that? I'd love to learn, right? So it's totally okay if that's not their problem. You want to know that in the first 20 seconds of the cold call. So you're not wasting your time with somebody that's never going to buy from you. But if they agree and they embrace the problem, now you have a discussion. So you want to ask that what or how question, I call it a mic drop question. So it sounds something like this. In case of Trinet, going back to that, how do you handle your second largest costs increasing 9 to 15% year over year? And now it's on the CFO to answer. And most of the time, the response is, wait, who is this again? Because the question is so finely tuned and precise, they're shocked that in the first 20 seconds of a cold call, some random stranger just asked them this mission critical question. And when that happens, you just repeat, be dead calling from Trinet. I know your second largest cost is benefits after payroll. I'm wondering how do you handle your second largest cost increasing nine to 15% year over year? And in the case of full story, the question was, how do you see today when people are rage clicking on your product? Right, and you pause. So that now you got the mic, you, you just mic drop. <laughs> it's not you anymore speaking. You put it on them and you did it within 20 seconds. And people embrace, they embrace the problem because then they say, you know, we've talked to our broker about that, or yeah, that's come up before, or you know, mine's even been more than 15%. Ours was like 18% last year. Or the product manager says something like, We don't have a way to do that, or we try to track things in Google Analytics, but I don't think it has that rage click thing you just described. And now a conversation starts. Well, can we talk about how that conversation progresses? Because what I usually do on my cold calls is when I get to the, you know, okay, tell me why you called. I tell them, hey, we can help with the problem I think you have. What you're doing is you're just saying, here's a problem and you're curious about how they're solving it. So let's say that product manager replies and says, yeah, we don't really have a way to track that today. And, and I am kind of struggling with that. Do you start to then pitch your thing and explain how you can help? How does the conversation progress so that you can book a meeting? 
Yeah. So there's this famous quote that I always remind myself and anybody who's worked on my teams knows this quote. It's from the famous uh, Muslim scholar Rumi. And he says, trade your cleverness for bewilderment. So trade your cleverness for bewilderment. This is the part to be bewildered by whatever they say. Be surprised. Be curious. Really? Oh, ah, tell me more about that. Or what does that mean? So the product manager says, we use Google Analytics today, but I don't think it tracks that. Really? So what are you tracking? All right. I want to get you talking. I want to get an understanding of what's going on with the situation because you just embraced the problem I described. So now I have some curiosity from you. I have you on center stage. And now all of a sudden I'm asking questions when before you were asking questions of who is this and why are you calling me? Right. In 20 seconds, we judo flipped it from me being in the spotlight, having explained myself to now you're explaining yourself. And you've allowed me that you've embraced it because you've acknowledged the problem that I stated. And because it was such a calibrated question, you felt the need to address it, right? Now, I told you there's a difference too between the Trinet question and the full story question, because this is something that as a seller, I was never taught in the six sales trainings that I ever did, which is, is your product viewed as net new versus rip and replace, right? Because some products are rip and replace and some products are viewed as net new. Sometimes the same product can be both in different segments, right? SMB, it might be net new. Enterprise, it might be rip and replace. That's fine. But you need to know when you're calling that prospect what the expectation is. Because in the case of Trinet, we were always ripping and replacing their broker. That's why I asked about the 9 to 15% year over year. Because I know they're using a broker already. I'm already. I've already made the assumptions. I know you have a broker. I know they're not doing their job very well. And I know you're seeing a very large increase in benefits costs, right? It's all assumed within that question. In the case of full story, most product managers didn't use a session replay tool like we sold. So I'm pointing out to something they can't do because they don't have my product. And I'm saying, how do you handle that today? Peaking their curiosity to be like, I don't. <laughs> how do I? <laughs> Go on, right? So that's a very different pitch, but it's the exact same framework. We're still going permission, problem, mic drop. But we're framing the question, the problem differently in both scenarios based on whether it's rip and replace or net new. I don't know if we've ever talked about competitors from a phone standpoint. And so let's say like, hey, you're calling as Trinet and they're like, okay, the nine to 15% thing totally makes sense for us but like we're currently using this broker, this provider that isn't Trinet today. How do you handle that without just slinging mud the entire time or getting into like a feature checklist on the phone? So the first thing you want to do is understand, well, just from a selfish standpoint, when does your contract with that current vendor end, right? Now, this goes counterintuitive to what we read on LinkedIn and stuff of like, it always has to be about them. It always has to give value, sell value and all this stuff. It's like, wait a second. If this person's contract just renewed, right, January, and I'm calling them in like March, my timing sucks. So that gives me perspective on where their mindset is at. If their contract is going to renew in June, and here we are in like May, I'm like, well, I'm in a good spot here, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lean in a little bit more in this conversation. So the first thing I want to figure out is like, where's their mindset at? If you're window shopping, there's a discussion to be had there to give you the sizzle without the steak, get you excited, but follow up at the appropriate time. 
if you are in buy mode, then I want to give you the sizzle and the steak and really lay into it. So if, if they are coming up on something, then I want to say, well, how are you going to evaluate your choices as we get closer to that time frame? Right? Like, how are you going to do it? Are, are you going to just bring a bunch of vendors in and take a look side by side? Do you feel like you're already going to make a switch? Like, walk me through that. And the reality is that you get, you get the right to ask that question when they're willing to concede that the timing on their current vendor is at or near ending, right? So th- to me, that's, that's the right approach. And again, it's really hard to do if you don't do the mic drop question in the beginning, because you don't have the right to ask that question if you weren't having a discussion with them prior, right? But when you use this method and you've got them talking five, six, seven minutes and asking them questions, it's a lot easier to be like, well, what do we do next? You tell me, because it sounds like you're interested in this. Can you give me some context as to what's going on today with your current solution? Bilal, can you talk about how you formulate that mic drop question? Because hopefully the folks listening to this have solutions that solve more than just one problem. Like in the case of the thing I sell, we solve about 800 different things. There's so many different modules and combinations of what I can sell. I'm sometimes scared to articulate just one problem because if they don't have that one problem, well, shoot, there goes my cold call. What do I do? All right. That's a great question, Nick. So let's let's back it up for a second. Don't think about problems per se. Think about personas. So Trinet was the same way. We had a multifaceted solution that did a bunch of different things for the HR people, for the controller, for the CFO, for everybody. But I wasn't calling all those people. I was calling just the CFO. And I was trying to get the attention of the CFO fast. And I knew that their second largest cost increasing that much is pretty crazy. So I started with the persona first. What mattered most to my persona? What problem did I know was pretty universal? pretty across the board that would get that conversation started. Because again, the mic drop question is just a means to an end. It's not the pitch for your solution. It's, it's the provocation to start a dialogue, right? Ditch the pitch, get off the monologue, start a dialogue. So that's the only purpose of that question. How do you get a dialogue started with that person? In, this, in the same lens, that's what it was at Full Story with a product manager. Right. I knew the product manager was responsible for product releases, for bugs, for user experience. So when I ask a question of like, how do you track this user experience that you can relate to? Because I just said, have you ever been on a website where you slam your mouse in frustration? We call that a rage click. Now I've labeled and framed the problem. I gave it a name. I say, how do you track that? Knowing that you can't unless you have a session replay tool. So now I've framed it, right? But the bigger context of what Full Story did was way, way larger than that. It got me a conversation, though, a seat at the table to get into that. And, you know, this is another piece of advice that I hear on LinkedIn a lot that I hate. It's one of my pet peeves, which is never be the one to hang up. I fundamentally disagree on a cold call. I think there's such power in a seller cutting off the conversation instead of dragging it out. I mean, you do your mic drop. They start talking. You ask some questions. To Armin's point, they might bring up their current vendor. You find out some timing things, and then they want to get into the solution. Well, how do you handle that, right? Hey, Bidad, you never told me how, what you guys do. I'm going to say, look, well, it sounds like you're interested. It sounds like there's a problem here. And I want to, this is the fourth part of the, the process, right? Because there's a four-step method. We've got permission, problem, mic drop, 
and then promise. I'm going to uphold the promise. I said, look, I called you and I know I caught you out of the blue and I promised to be brief. It sounds like you're interested in this. Would you be willing to give this a proper conversation next week or two for 30 minutes to an hour? I'm going to be the one to pull away. And then they're like, whoa, I was not expecting that. That's not what salespeople do. Salespeople try to pitch me. Salespeople try to tell me how they're going to help me save time and money and make, you know, they're, they're, they want to play the hero and I'm the damsel in distress. That's not what this guy's doing. This guy's stepping back and telling me, would you want to do this properly? And the majority of people will. They'll say, you know what? Yeah, I think I will take a call. I'd be interested. Well, could you send me some information prior to that so I, I have some context? Absolutely. Wind works to set that up. Right? I will add that information in the calendar invite. So now you're setting that meeting, successful cold call or a follow-up. Because again, in Armin's point, if they tell you, if they, if they have a current vendor, the timing is not right, then I say something like, well, look, we're not even the right time frame. I should probably call you back end of Q3. So how about I send you some information so you have my contact details and I reach out to you then. That interrupts the expectations that they have on how a seller should behave on a cold call. So I love how you're tying this all together and you're constantly pushing away. And I know you've talked about this before too. Once you get into that discovery call, you have some things around transparency selling where you'll actually say, hey, these are the places that they're better than us. So great point. And again, I always go back to, I want to unexpectedly delight my buyer. I want to unexpectedly delight them. And when you really look at it critically, there's only a handful of areas where a seller can unexpectedly delight a buyer. Here are the areas that I, that I see. Competition, pricing, process, and shortcomings of the product. That's pretty much all you got. It's a not very big playing field. You don't have a lot of tools in your toolkit. Buyers expect sellers to not share those four things, to make those things difficult to get, to make them like have to jump through hoops. So if I preemptively bring those things up, I completely change the dynamic. Now, this goes back to one of the six universal principles of influence by Dr. Cialdini, right? This goes back to one of those principles, which is the principle of reciprocity. So they did a study where they were trying to boost the tip that waiters get at the end of a meal, right? So in the default group, the control group, the waiter gives the bill, gives a mint, walks away. Tips are average. In the second group, the waiter gives two mints instead of one. Tips go up a little bit, marginally. In the third group, the waiter gives a tip or gives the bill, gives a mint, walks away, then turns around and says, for you nice people, here's an extra mint. Tips go through the roof. Why? Because of that unexpected delight of getting an extra mint and feeling special. So as a seller can use these four things, again, pricing, competition, process or setup, and then shortcomings of my product as my mint. Now, when I give pricing in a disco call up front like that, I never give a specific number. The way I do it is I say, here's where pricing starts. So they have a, a semblance of a floor. So there's some expectation, like this is not going to be less than 15K. And typically for companies of your size, I see it more in the range of 25 to 32. There's about six factors that go into that. I can cover them later. Let me pause for a moment. What's your initial reaction to that? That's how I give pricing up front, right? So I give myself wiggle room later 
to still make a deal of it. Same thing with competition. Look, we're, you're about one Google search away from knowing who we work uh, against, who our competition is. Let me let you know who those are. And if you like, I can tell you some of the advantages that they have and disadvantages that they have because we're not right for everyone. And sometimes you are might, you might be better off going with them. People are like, whoa, <laughs> right? That's, that's the waiter turning around and giving me an extra mint. I was not expecting that. So one of my concerns, Bilal, is I'm in this meeting, right? And let's say I cold call Armand and he's like, I'm kind of interested in your solution. Like, can we can we talk about this right here? And I say, you know, you make the promise and I book that meeting in, in two weeks. And I show up into that meeting and Armand's there and Armand has brought one of his colleagues and that person is there in the meeting and it's a two versus two versus one. It's two people on his and me having this conversation. This other person might not have a ton of context about like the reason that we have this meeting and how we might be able to help. And one of the things like my CRO is harping on right now is we got to talk about pain. We have to talk about the pain the buyer has and where we can help solve them. And I'm always with you in terms of like, I want to delight them, but I'm worried if I don't talk about it all about how we can help, they're going to be like, okay, well, we're just in the mechanics and the weeds of the sale as opposed to problem they are looking to solve. And I'm wondering what the heck do you think about that? Yeah, that's that's a great point. And it, it is really hard when when the buyer brings in somebody else or you're now dealing with a buying committee and multiple stakeholders because pretty much everybody that comes in is you have to sit you have to hit reset. You have to hit reset on them. And and that's okay because when you think about the universal buyer's journey, which is something again, my sales training has never taught me, people go through five stages to buy something unaware, aware consideration, evaluation, decision. So your champion might be in consideration or evaluation. They bring in somebody new and they're starting off from unaware. So it's like, well, this is not a level playing field. And I think it's fair to state that, right? To, to, right at the beginning of the call, I'd be like, hey, I know you and I spoke, Nick, and I appreciate you inviting Armin. I, I'd imagine, Armin, you have some context from Nick, but maybe not a lot. Let me pause for a moment. What do you know so far about this meeting? I'm going to get some context from you and find out, okay, you don't know anything, right? Nick just sort of like threw in on the calendar. Okay, no problem. Well, look, before I begin into what the typical agenda for this meeting was, let's just hit pause for a moment. I'd love to get your impression, Armin, of the status quo today. What's going on today? And how do you see it? And I'm going to be upfront about the fact that the easiest thing to do is nothing. Like I'm going to acknowledge that your team, your company is getting the job done today. Like before I ever called you, you were a successful business. That's why I called you. And you will continue to be a successful business the second I hang up. But I want to understand your view of the status quo if you see issues with it, because then I can catalyze, I can enable on that and, and, and create some urgency around why that might be shaky ground, right? That might be thin ice. There might actually be a problem with that. And that's where you want to use some provocative messaging to kind of get people to understand that the status quo is risky. So I'm going to always start when I have a new person in the meeting, how are you getting the job done today? What's your view on that? Because if, if Armin comes in and says, I don't see an issue with it. I think we're doing fine. This is how I do it. And it's all good for me. I'm going to look at you, Nick, and be like, what do you want me to do? <laughs> right? Like you, you're the one who wanted to do this meeting. You said there's a problem. Armin doesn't. I think you two need to figure that out. I'm doing my part to create this relationship. Now you got to do yours because elite sellers know, and this is something average sellers struggle with, elite sellers know the majority of a sale is buyer side driven, not seller side driven. 
right? Like, for example, we've been talking about pain. Am I the one driving pain? Do I call up people and call, you know, and, and, and create pain for them? Yeah, probably by annoying them, but that's about the extent, right? They got to they gotta have a pain. They've got to be willing to identify it. They've got to be willing to change. And they've got to be willing to agree that there's going to be an impact in making that change. All of that's buyer side. A seller can't do any of that. If I could, I wouldn't be here right now. I'd be on some beach, you know, sipping a pina colada. I listen back to all of our finished products of our podcast, usually once. This is one I'm going to have to listen to probably three times. This has been such a good episode and we're running out of time. So we got to move to the final question now. So my final question for you is this. We've talked about a lot of really good habits that, that salespeople should be living out in their interactions with buyers. And now I want to talk about a bad habit. So I'd like to hear from you. What do you think is one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople leaning on heavily that they shouldn't be because it's hurting them more than it helps? Oh, that's a good one. What's a bad habit? Sellers are too afraid to disqualify. They have a mindset of qualification instead of disqualification, which is a very different mindset to have. Poke problems, like poke the problems up front. When somebody tells you something that's suspect, point that out. Like there should be no reason to say, again, like if, if I'm talking to somebody and they bring up something and I'm like, you know what? People who buy my product don't typically say that. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you that. Hey, Nick, it's interesting. You brought that up. I'm going to trade my cleverness for bewilderment. I'm surprised you brought that up. Typically the people I speak with say X, you just said Y. Can you help me understand why you're talking Y instead of X? I want to figure that out up front because that might end up being a disqualifier. That might be a deal breaker. And deal breakers go both ways for the seller and the buyer. And when I look at the stats around how more than a third of sellers deals on average, and sometimes depending on the stat you look at, it's up to 70% of deals end up in status quo, no decision. That's a boatload of wasted time. That's some cost. You will never get that time. You can recoup money. You can recoup resources. You can't recoup time. Every minute you spent selling somebody that didn't buy was a minute less you had for the actual people who could. And that's the difference between elite and average sellers on how they manage the clock, how they manage their time. So stop having a mindset of qualification, start having a mindset of disqualification. And and that goes back to that quote, cleverness for bewilderment. Be curious, dig in, find out what's going on and get the ones that aren't going to buy out fast, like fail fast. I love it. Everybody start acting bewildered. It's easy for me. Might be a little bit tougher for some of the smart ones out there. Bilal, anything you want to plug before we jump off here? I am planning to launch a free uh, series on YouTube about the mic drop method. I'm going to open source it. I'm bringing it to the world. I'd greatly appreciate it if you guys sign up because you'll be the first notified. You'll be able to check it out. And of course, I want feedback, good, bad, and ugly. There you go. Sign up for the mic drop method, pick up the phone, cold call Bilal, give him a little bit of feedback, and everybody stick around for a 60-second recap coming up soon. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them.
Your Zoom Info actionable insight tactic is called Jane's moving up. Why? Because that's the email subject line you'll use when you get a real-time notice that your prospect Jane just got promoted. From there in the email, explain how ZoomInfo helps rising sales leaders win their first 90 days on the job by highlighting coaching opportunities or supporting a team-wide prospecting push. And you can try out this trigger-based email template for prospect promotion and four other scenarios inspired by ZoomInfo's go-to-market plays. Link in the show notes. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto reminders for everything. If I expect any reply from a prospect, I press command H and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox. If I don't get a reply in two days, that means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time, every time you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. Your top four takeaways from this episode with Bilal include, number one, when somebody asks you, who's this or what is this call regarding? You don't have to freak out every time. You can crack a joke. Bilal likes to say, what? Am I the only Bilal who's called you today? You'll get a laugh and then you can keep going on. Number two, you have to trade your answers for bewilderment. Do not always jump right into the solution for every single prospect question. You need to ask the question behind the question. Number three, There are many ways you can delight your buyer. Every rep tries to hide product, hide pricing. And if you can say that stuff upfront and say like, hey, by the end of this call, we will run through a demo so you'll actually see the product and I'll give you a sense of what this costs, you will delight your buyers. And then lastly, number four, use your mic drop questions in your cold calls. It's really hard to answer not interested when you show that you're an industry expert and you say, hey, this is something we're seeing in your space. How are you handling that stuff? All righty, Nick, how could people help us? Well, the biggest thing that delights me when I'm procrastinating making cold calls is going onto LinkedIn and seeing the notification bell all lit up, clicking that notification bell, and then seeing people have posted publicly nice things about 30 Minutes to President's Club. So if you want to delight me, I don't know, make a post about it if you like the show. It truly would make me a happy guy. Thanks for listening. We'll see you guys next week on 30 Minutes to President's Club. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. Obsessive checking of your inbox is a total waste of time and brain power. Instead, commit to checking your inbox and responding to email at set times throughout the day. I'm a fan of Boomerang's pause inbox function to keep myself from getting distracted by my inbox. Now, we documented our best templates and tools to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang, and you can get that for free at the link in the show notes. Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes.